brothers and sisters. In today's gospel, we encounter a man named Zacchaeus. We're told that Zacchaeus was a short man who is trying to see Jesus through the crowds. Now, as a completely normal-sized person, I have no idea what that experience must have been like for him. It strikes me that Zacchaeus' situation is much like that of any sinner, lost in a crowd, unable to catch a clear glimpse of God. Isn't that what it's like when we're in sin? And one church father stated about Zacchaeus that the obstacle which prevented him from seeing Jesus was not so much the multitude of men as it was the multitude of his sins, for he was of short stature. In other words, St. Luke is informing us not only of this man's physical stature, but of his spiritual stature as well. He was, after all, a tax collector. And like most tax collectors in Jesus' day, he was weighed down by sin and corruption. While nobody likes tax collectors, in Jesus' day, tax collectors were even more fiercely scorned than the IRS is today. Because in Jesus' day, tax collectors were known to be extortionists who took money that rightfully belonged to the Jews. And even worse, many of them were Jews themselves, and so they should have observed the rabbinic ban on taxation. So dislike of tax collectors in Jesus' day was much more deeply rooted than the average American's disdain for the IRS. Now, after describing this man's stature, St. Luke informs us that this short tax collector was seeking to see who Jesus was. And friends, herein lies the thrux of this passage. Jesus' identity is the central question in our lives. It's a question that we all must answer. Who is this man? Either Jesus is who he claims to be, that is to say, he's God, or Jesus is a madman, a lunatic who thinks that he is God. Do you see now why this is the central question that each of us must answer? Because if he is God, then I have to devote my entire life to him. I have to devote my entire being to serving him. If he's not God, then at best he's delusional. And quite frankly, he's probably dangerous because he thinks he's God. Now, unless anybody here should be confused as to the answer to this question, Jesus is in fact God incarnate. I used to teach fifth grade religion in upstate New York, and I drilled that fact into my students. They all could tell you that Jesus is God. I drilled that into them, even to the point of I made up t-shirts for them that said, Jesus is God. So there should be no question about who Jesus is. Knowing that Jesus is God, we can now see the rest of this encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus as an archetype for the relationship between God and sinful humanity. You see, unable to see God because of the crowd, Zacchaeus has to leave the crowd. 
You know, so often we need to do the same thing in our lives. As quite frequently, the crowds that we follow are not on the path to salvation. And in many instances, they prevent us from seeing God. Now, once he's been removed from the crowd, Zacchaeus finds a sycamore tree. And he climbs the sycamore tree. That is to say, he's elevated by God's grace. And removed from the crowd, standing on this sycamore tree, elevated by God's grace, Zacchaeus is now able to see God, to see Jesus clearly. Jesus then looks at Zacchaeus and he calls out to him saying, Today I must stay at your home. Again, this is often the way that encounters with Christ work. Uninvited, Jesus enters into our most intimate and personable space. He does so in order to bring about a transformation in us sinners. Uninvited, Jesus walked up to Simon Peter onto his boat and gave orders to go out into the deep. And similarly, uninvited, Jesus looks to Zacchaeus and says, Today I must stay at your place. Friends, it's not just Simon Peter and Zacchaeus whose lives are disrupted by an uninvited Jesus. This is the story of every sinner who has encountered Christ. You know, people who have lived the spiritual life well can cite moments when Christ, uninvited, has broken into their lives and disrupted everything. In his presence, we human beings become keenly aware of our own sinfulness and of our own unworthiness before God. When Jesus was invited Sorry, when Jesus was uninvited and entered the boat of Simon Peter, Simon Peter, upon realizing who it was, said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. When Jesus Christ, uninvited, burst into Zacchaeus' life, saying, I need to stay at your home, Zacchaeus became aware of his waywardness and moved to conversion. He said, Behold, Half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have exhorted anything from anyone, I'll repay them four times over. Again, this dynamic isn't limited to Simon, Peter, and Zacchaeus. Anyone who truly encounters Christ cannot help but confront his or her own sinfulness in a very real and honest manner. Such encounters often move people to repentance. This dynamic is so ingrained into the spiritual life of a Christian that it's even incorporated into the Mass. And we begin Mass with that penitential rite where we say, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. During that time, we're meant to confront our own sinfulness. You know, sadly for many of us, the meaning of this ritual often goes unnoticed. It becomes almost mechanical, as we just say, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. But we're supposed to be recognizing our own sinfulness, because that's the first step in forming an authentic and personal relationship with God. It's the first step in uniting ourselves to Him, which we're about to do in the Eucharist. This ritualized expression of our own sinfulness isn't something that we should just say without contemplating its meaning. 
because its purpose is to extend beyond the liturgy. If we're sincere in saying these words, we, like Zacchaeus, should be moved to conversion. We should have the desire not only to make amends for our sin, but also to pay four times over for our offenses. Confronting our sin, after all, isn't about making us feel guilty. That's not not why the Lord has us confront our sins. Rather, it's about giving us a renewed sense of purpose. It's about looking at our past and then converting and leaving our past behind us, striving to become something greater than we currently are, striving to become people who are holy. You know, the same principle underlies the sacrament of penance. I know it's a sacrament that's grossly underused by many Catholics. And again, I think a lot of Catholics are afraid of receiving it because they think of it not as the sacrament of penance, but the sacrament of punishment. But that's not what it's meant to be. And we're all in desperate need of receiving this sacrament. The sacrament of penance is supposed to bring about our conversion. It's the sacrament through which we make reparation for our sins. It's not about punishment, but about demonstrating that, like Zacchaeus, we are committed to converting from our former way of life. You know, Zacchaeus's conversion was authenticated by his willingness to pay fourfold what he ex- exhorted from people. In the sacrament of penance, we too seek mercy, but we also seek to make a similar reparation for our sins. That's what the penance part is about. Zacchaeus made reparation for his sin, and he converted to a life that was devoted to Christ. And thus, Jesus informs Zacchaeus that today, salvation has come to this house. By turning from sin and by welcoming Christ, Jesus, whose very name means God saves, and who is in fact our salvation, was able to enter into Zacchaeus' house. When we celebrate the sacraments, Jesus Christ is truly present to us. It is he who forgives sins in the sacrament of penance, and it's he who is truly present in the Eucharist. When we receive these sacraments, we welcome him into the most intimate spaces of our lives. Not just our boats or our homes, but our bodies and our souls. And by, welcoming him, and by welcoming him into our lives, salvation comes to us as well. Brothers and sisters, peace to you and to all who welcome Christ into their lives.